1: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: Today we're going to talk about being unselfish and what it means, but in the context of Scripture, because we're going through the Bible verse by verse, we're in a section that talks about marital relationships. Now when I say that I might have left out some of you that are listening today that you're not married or maybe you're soured on marriage or something like that. But I want you to know that the principle is still going to be on un- unselfishness and you can take that into any relationship that you have whether it's marriage or family or those of you kids that are going off to college and will have a roommate. But it's a very important character trait, on unselfishness. Now in the context it's going to show how that unselfishness will play out in a marriage relationship. I was thinking about maybe having some fun with us today and talk about this from a perspective of the Olympics. But then I got thinking about the Winter Olympics. Most of those start at the top of the hill and then they go down rapidly, you know. And I thought, well, I don't want to talk about that regarding marriages because some of you will maybe think, oh, my goodness, does that mean our marriage is going to go down rapidly? No, not the case. So that's not a good illustration. But on the other hand, if they were giving gold medals for relationships, that are done in a way that would be effective and unselfish what would it take to get a gold medal if we were to give out gold medals and frankly the bible does say that we will give an account of our relationships with other people in the Lord and that there will be rewards provided for us in heaven when we do it the right way so in a sense there are gold medals so the question would be how do I get a gold medal well going back to the Olympics again I got thinking about these athletes what would be maybe the one trait that they would have that would make them an Olympic athlete. And we have some of ours here that are thinking about maybe they could even go to the Olympics. Let's talk about that. I think the number one trait would be the trait of dedication. They have to be dedicated to all that's necessary. Or maybe another word would be the word commitment. How committed they have to be that this has to be almost their A priority in their life if they're going to compete in the Olympics to win. And maybe another word would be the word discipline. Yet as I look at those words, those are still good words in any relationship. In order to make relationships work, particularly marriage, we have to be dedicated, we have to be committed, we also have to be disciplined in order for those relationships to work. Well, in the context, we could see the word discipline there, but I think there's another word that goes along with that, and it's that concept of submission, because you're going to read that about how wives are to be submissive to their own husbands. Now when I say that, it seems like the word submit or submission really has a bum rap today in our society. It's a word that we really don't like to hear, let alone do, and it's a word when we bring it into a relationship, ooh, we don't like that. In fact, when I began to look up what the word submission means, I came up with some some explanations. One of them was this, it means to back down, to bend to another person's will, to comply, to cower, to crawl, to cringe, to give in, and one said live a dog's life. Well I don't know if my dog has such a life like that but I'm thinking about what would it be. But then I took that idea of submission through scripture and as I studied the history of this I found out that really it was very liberating that what the Bible and what God did especially for women in the culture of the day was to liberate them and even today the principle still holds true the way he, God, wired us that that concept for a wife is good but the whole issue of submission is important whether you're a man or a woman, boy or girl, husband or wife it's all found in scripture. So I would like to then redefine submission maybe from a biblical context and it would go like this, submission is having the courage and the compassion to give up my rights to meet the person's needs. So think about another person in your life, one that is the most significant other, And if you're married obviously it would be your mate, if you're a young person it would be your parents or maybe right now as you're living with someone who's uh, going to school. So you might think it's giving up my rights. And it's going to take courage and compassion to do that in a way to meet that other person's need and how important that is. Well, when I think of submission though, I also have to realize in order to submit, I have to have something else that goes before submission. And that has to be what I call unselfishness and that's why I call the message today, what does it really mean to be unselfish? I read that there are three basic ways to live in life. The first way is what we might call my way and we do it my way it's like I want it it's got to be my way when I want it why I want it how I want it it's all about me so we have my way to do this it's like me up on top and the rest of the world under me and they serve me in fact we might want to look at it like a tiger crawling their way I'm going to be the number one king of the jungle type person like a lion the second way we could live our life is others way and this would be the person that would say I don't want anything with me, it's all about the other person, they're on top, I'm a nothing, I'm a doormat. We might look at the animal baby, uh, the turtle that they kind of put their head in the shell and let everybody throw things at them and occasionally they'll poke their head out as they go through life. But in a sense they're abused and so that's not the way to live so it's not my way or all the others way. I think the best way to look at it would be God's way. And God's way would be more like the owl, the wise way. And so the Bible is replete with how do we submit and how do we live a life that is unselfish to do it really God's way. And there is some basic truths found in Scripture and we're going to look at them today. So I'm going to divide the message in two parts and unfortunately I'm going to go through it very rapidly. But I believe that most of you have had this already for you. It's going to be just a a wonderful reminder of where we need to get back on track again. So let's talk about three reasons why we should be unselfish. And so I ask you a question, how do you relate well to selfish people? And maybe you're one of those that are selfish, is it really working for you? Probably not. And do you remember a time that you really gave up your rights, but you did it God's way, and you really sensed some wonderful fruit from that effort that you did? Well, there is a right way to do that, and there are some good reasons to do it. Well, let me talk about reasons that I should be unselfish. Here's number one, because selfishness is a source of conflict. And as you're writing that down, maybe you'll go down memory lane and think about the last argument that you've had with that significant other in your life, husband or wife or whatever it might be. And why don't you look at it for a moment and think, maybe the conflict was because one or the other one is selfish. And it's odd that sometimes when the conflict is going on, we're thinking, we're unselfish, it's the other person who's selfish. When in reality, it could be both of us. Let's look at James chapter 4 verse 1 because I think this is a hallmark passage that says it. It says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? That's a legitimate question. Where, do we, where does this all come from? Well, then God gives us the answer through James and he says, they come from the selfish desires that war within you. So maybe if you'll go down memory lane and just think about that last argument you had and you might dig within yourself and say, you know what? What that was, was a sign of a selfish heart that was warring within me. Proverbs chapter 13.10 says that only by pride comes contention. So if there's contention, there's going to be an element there of pride and selfishness. Here's the second reason that we should be unselfish, and that is because unselfishness is the secret to change. Now Think about that for a moment, that unselfishness is the secret to change. In the passage, it begins in verse 1, and it speaks to the wives here, and it says this as he encourages wives when he says... So that even if some husbands do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So the idea is to help your husband change from one direction and thinking pattern to another one. And how does that happen? And in this context it says that this woman now, this wife, needs to be unselfish. Now let's pause for a moment. I think we would all realize that change is a part of life, it is natural we will change. Those of you that have little babies you know that they change a lot and if not they got to get changed a lot. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to throw a pun at you but they will change and as we get older they're all changing. Those of you that have plants and you're growing fruit or vegetables you will see that they're changing That that's normal. Carol and I have been married 42 years and yet we still see ourselves changing and hopefully for the better. So change is a natural thing but it's not natural when you try to force someone to change either by manipulation or intimidation. You want to do it in a godly way through proper biblical motivation and what motivates another person to change often the most is when the other person exemplifies an unselfish life. So how does change happen? I really believe it happens through the concept of unselfishness. So then I began to go back to the greatest model who there ever would be of an unselfish person. Well all of us quickly would say, well it's Jesus Christ because we have our orthodoxy correct. Well it is right, it is Christ. But if you will for just a moment take Christ and run His life through the grid of all the illustrations of Scripture. He lived His life totally unselfish all the way down to the very end where He died on the cross to pay for the sins of others when He didn't have His own sins. He gave the ultimate sacrifice through unselfishness. Now those of you who are Christian know this truth. That when we trusted Christ as Savior, we're a partaker of His divine nature. So Christ lives within us. So when He asks us, tells us to be unselfish, He says, don't worry, I'm inside of you. The unselfish one who wants to live that life out through you. So He's a great example of unselfishness. But let me get real practical with you. How many of you notice someone in your life that was very unselfish? And how they impacted your life because of their unselfishness? I think about that. One person that I've never met before, but I've immersed myself in his history was none other than Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. And I'm reading a seven-volume set, and I'm about a third of the way through the seventh volume of this, and there's a little little paragraph in there that I don't know how many people picked up on, and here's what it said. That Hudson Taylor, when he traveled in the 1800s, he never never traveled first class or second class. He always traveled third class, and he would stay on the ship's or whatever type of public conveyance where all the most common people would be. One, because of finances, the other, so whoever would travel with him would get a better place to sit. And then secondly, he never let anyone else carry his luggage for him. He never hired a porter to do that. He did it himself. Now think about in your own world who are the unselfish people and those people in some measure I imagine if they made a suggestion to you to change something in your life you would quickly do it because you knew that they had the spirit of grace and unselfishness. And so I think as a ministry leader that I I need to work on that in my life because I too I am passionate about you changing and for that occur I too need to be unselfish. So think about it, unselfish people, selfish people. Out of those two groups, which one has brought about the most change in your own life? You can answer that. Here's number three, a third reason that we should be unselfish. Obviously, the first one is because that it's the cause of conflict. The second is unselfishness is the key to change. But the third one is because selfishness short circuits prayer. Look in verse 7 at the very end of our passage. I like the way it begins by telling the ladies to be unselfish, but that whole concept is all through Scripture, even for the men. And then he speaks to both of them and he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So pause for a moment. Are there things going on in your life that you don't like, that you think need to, to change, and they're not happening, and so you have now come to the point to say, I need God. So you're calling in, so to speak, the big guns, and you're praying, but things aren't happening. Your kids aren't changing. Things at work aren't changing. Your health or finances may not be changing. Issues in your life aren't changing. It could be because of selfishness in your life that is played out with how you relate to your mate in your life. So just for a second, humble yourself. I don't have anybody in mind. I do this for myself. i got to do it too. But if I'm having struggles and my prayers are being hindered, it very well could be, that I have not properly submitted to my wife as she submits to me in mutual submission because that with me it's bottlenecked up with selfishness in my life. I want my way, my time, I want it done for me. And so just humble yourself and ask that because that will short circuit prayer. Why is it? Selfishness says I depend on me, prayer says I depend on God. Well with that being in mind, so now I have to ask myself what are some ways that I can unselfishness just three from this passage but three very powerful ones and so if you're saying you're right pastor I know that my relationship needs to be better what can I do to be more unselfish with my mate how can I demonstrate it well in the passage let me just give you three number one develop an understanding spirit by considering the needs of others now this was specifically spoken to the husbands now and here's what it says to us men here it says likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. If you will, take a moment and circle the word understanding. Yes it could mean gentleness, I gave you that verse, it could mean kindness. But in this context it means more than just I'm kind to my wife. It means that I really know my wife. I know what makes her tick and I know what makes her ticked. I want to dwell with her according to knowledge. Now guys I want to have you listen to me for this moment on this. Paul says to the husbands in Ephesians 5 to unconditionally love your wife just the way that she is. So you're to love your wife. Peter says the same thing but his language is you need to understand your wife and a few other things. So now I'm saying if I really love my wife and I have to sacrifice for her it's not so much I'll open a car door for her when it's raining as much as I really want to understand my wife and to do that it takes time. It takes the setting where there's no negative energy. It takes me to ask the right questions. It takes me, listen, to listen to them, which now brings me to this. If I really want to understand my wife, it takes the skill of listening to them. And I'd like to give you some truths here that might help you, just practical truths on how that you can understand your wife better just through that one trait of listening. First of all, you have to be willing to work at it. To listen to your wife is going to take work. It is not a natural thing to do. Now, some might find it easier because they're more quiet, so they don't say a whole lot while the other person is talking. But I think if you know how it really is, even though they're not talking and the other person is doing all the talking, that doesn't mean the silent one is really listening. The silent one could be making mental lists of what they want to do later in the day, so they're not really listening. So to do this, it takes work because nobody is a naturally good listener. Number two, let them tell it their way. Let them tell it their way. Now if you don't mind I'll be a little personal in the relationship with Carol and me but um, Carol and her dad are absolutely the world's best storytellers. I don't mean they don't tell the truth. They can remember details and technicolor and surround sound about anything. And so I love traveling with Carol because as you might think I like to talk as I do all of this. I have to tell you that really, I am more of an introvert. I truly am. I'm, I'm quieter. I'd rather be by myself. I like to hide, go to the beach, sit on a chair, read a book, don't bother me. You know, that kind of thing. Now, Carol, when we're traveling, I'll talk and she just tells story after story. Those of you that are in waves, she just she just remembers and she brings it to a spiritual truth. Now, when Carol and I start talking and she starts talking and she's going on about something, my mind is, I'm, I'm busy. I've got to get to the next task. So, I'll politely say, "I need the Reader's Digest, a bridge version, or get to the bottom line." And then once I said, "What's your point?" I only said that once, all right? Because with me, I, I just I, I just need enough because I got to get this done. Now, I don't want you to think I'm a horrible person. Most everything I want to get done isn't to go watch a ball game. It isn't to go surfing. It's usually, I got emails that are piling up. I got to finish this over here. I got to take care of that. They're ministry related or good things for other people. Now, watch what I'm saying. However, in the scheme of a biblical relationship with a mate, this is the time that your mate trumps A lot of these are the things that are out there that you need to then slow down, work at listening and let them tell their story. Because when you do, you then are submitting to them and you're saying by that action, you are important. And just perhaps the Lord might be having them tell you that story for something that you might have in your life that will help further what God wants to do. Here's number three in listening and that is to make eye contact when you listen. Now I know you see it up on the screen and you people are writing it down. I want to qualify that. In the Western culture in which most of us have grown up in, making eye contact is an important thing. It's something that we should do. We're encouraged to do that. In fact, when I did the study on this one point alone, there's so much material about the importance of parents making eye contact with their children, because the Bible talks about the eye is like the gate into the soul and how important that is, and it encourages you to do that. However, in the Eastern culture, the Asian culture. It's more difficult. Sometimes when you look at a person, and you look them in the eye, it can almost be a sign of disrespect that you should look down. And I don't want to go too far into this culture thing. But at the same time, it's a reality issue. So how do you make it work with this point? Well, here's my suggestion. I think the bottom line is as important as looking in the eye is and in the Western culture, I'd encourage you to do that because that's what we should do. That's comfortable. In the other culture, while you may not look them in the eye, you can do this. And I think you'll agree. You can still with humble respect, at least look at them when they're speaking. Think about your own kids when you're speaking to them and they're looking all over the place, they don't really care, they're at the mall looking, but they're not looking at you. You know how that affects you. So the bottom line simply is this. Show your submission, your unselfishness, by focusing in on that other person. You do it by working at listening, letting them complete their story, In some measure, look at them to let them know that you sincerely care about them and what they're sharing with you. So number one again, how important it is for us to really show that understanding spirit and consider their needs. Number two, respect the position of the other person. It gets a little bit deeper there because sometimes that other person is hard to be unselfish with or submissive to because they do some really wild and crazy things. Well, I wanted to take you to this passage because it still shares with us in the same context when you have a husband-wise wives who is without the word. And Weist in his word study says when it says without the word means they literally disdain the word of God. They do not want the word of God at all. They're rebelling against the word. So it's not just some husband who doesn't want to go to church every Sunday. It's much worse than that. And here it says, Wives... Be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when the husbands see your respectful and pure conduct. So, wives, you're going to respect your husband, the position that he holds, because that position you put yourself into when you married, and it's the position that God says is over you. Now, you may not have that same respect level for their personality or their personhood, so to speak, but you can for their position. It also explains how you demonstrate that uh, respectfulness, and that is with a spirit of being gentle and quiet, and not necessarily just always what you wear on the outside. It's how you are on your inside. And it gives you a wonderful illustration in the context about how Sarah did it to Abraham. And for those of you that don't know the story, why in the world did Peter ever select the story of Sarah and Abraham, husband and wife, Is because Abraham not once but twice asked Sarah to do something that if your husband asked you to do that, you'd have shown him the door a long time ago when he asked her to put herself in a position that would show that she's not married to him around another man. And you could read the rest of the story in Genesis if you'd like. But how did she do this? Even to the point of calling him Lord or Master because she saw the position that he had. I believe she did it because she was a holy woman first and then that brought about a woman who trusted in God next who then as a result could submit herself to a husband who at that moment was not where he should have been. But it's not just left to the wives, but notice this in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, husbands, show your wives respect. And if you look in context, it talks about how do you show your wife respect? By showing her honor, by letting her know that she is of value in your life. Look at the verse, it says, when you do these things, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble in giving honor to the other person. You mind if I appeal to your economics for a moment? I don't know how many of you have purchased a house, but wouldn't you like to know if your house in the last two years has gone up in value or have dropped down in value? Some of you might already know. You hoped when you bought that house, it would appreciate, wouldn't you? I hope it does. I hope it will, if it hasn't. But now let's look at your mate. I know that you would want to appreciate and add value to your mate. And one way we do that is by dying to ourselves, and showing unselfish submission to the needs of our mate. Let me end with number three here, and that is that in order to do this, we need to make the sacrifice to willingly act on the behalf of others. I put the word action there because it is important for us to do the demonstration of it, and in the context, it's so easy for us to do that. And I pray that we will. Look at 1 John 3.18. It says, Let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love does not demand its own way. It's really trying to meet the needs of the other person in a very, very special way. But as I bring this now to a final close, some of you might be asking this question. Well, pastor, I I, I am in a very tough situation. Um, My mate is not where I think that mate ought to be. And you're asking me to be unselfish. How far do I go with this unselfishness? Well, obviously, if they are asking you to do something that is unbiblical, then you need to make a humble appeal to them of why it's not in that person's best interest for you to do that. So be humble about that. But when it's all over with, when the final bell is rung, then you have to obey God over any human person that asks you to do something. When you know biblically, it's not something you prefer or not, it's, is it a biblical thing? Are they asking you to lie, steal? harm someone else, do a moral and pure act with someone else, whatever it might be, then you disobey them. But now, the rest of you, you're still saying, but does that mean that this person can take charge over my life? And my life, would, I'm so scared of what it's going to become. I think in most cases, when you begin to submit, unfortunately, the other mate is more than likely going to test you to see if you just did it because you heard one message from the pastor. Or to see if it's real. I don't know what it is, but Satan just wants to come at you. And so he just gets this person even worse at you. And so that's when you have to stay the course of being humble and submissive. Because after you do that a few of those times, because of your humility. I've seen it happen. There are women today, that I wish I could have given the microphone to, we just don't have time, who would say their husband is a different husband now than it was four or five months ago. I chose to embrace 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 and my husband has changed. And at the same time, the change was hard when I started doing it. It got worse when I started doing it. Then all of a sudden, it seemed like a light bulb went on. And I really believe, here it is, I really believe that it's because love overshadowed the fear and cast it aside. And that genuine love brought that person to a point of saying, All right, I will unselfishly submit to God, because I'm doing it for Him, not so much for you, I'm doing it for God, that God brought about the change.